Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric. With me is my co-host, Robert. Hello. And we are back. Uh, a two-week hiatus, but we got a little bit of review. A couple tournaments from last weekend, a couple tournaments from this weekend. Won't be a whole lot of action this weekend because this week starts the WTC. That's right, folks. The Grand World Cup of all things International Warhammer Team Championship. Uh, kind of a big event. Uh, always held somewhere, usually in Europe, ironically, although it is a world championship and um, very polarizing event. So Rabbi and I have very different opinions of this particular event. Seeing as I never planned to play on that global scale, then cool, you guys can pay like $2,000 a person to fly to Europe and transport your army like, and have fun with like seven or eight of your friends and, and play for your country. It's a nice thing. The playing for the country is a very cool thing. I agree with you. The cost is astronomical, and this is coming from just coming from America. Talk to the Australian and New Zealand team. Forget about it. Uh, those guys pay even more than we do, and that's why some teams only go every other uh, championship. So just because the cost is a, is a big prohibitive area, and you mentioned carrying your army on the plane. Some players have to take two or three armies, and um, so that's another big issue because they may have army for their team tournament and they have another army for the singles tournament who knows oh yeah that's right they also do a singles event don't they yeah i know from following scary he took some photos of transporting an army and he has just foam trays stacked up in the above head container of the plane (laughs) yeah and it's just uh um yeah that's a little that's a little dicey yep the other thing that's a little odd is um, these these events are not it's that they're in Europe, but it's not like they're in Paris or they're in Venice or London. They're usually in um, now would have become kind of the low cost uh, vacation spots in Europe, like Serbia, and uh, I think there was one in Greece a few years ago. So accommodations have been uh, less than spectacular for some of the events. So interesting to see how that odd rolls. So this particular year. So from what I was able to see, I think they're in Belgium. Okay, that might be a little bit above board, but even that has um, connotations. But then that could be just coming from my family members who live in Europe. They like to make fun of the other neighboring countries as much as possible. So, Hey, man, it's a pastime. It is. Other thing, though, I do have a huge respect for it is that when you do play on this international stage, we try to cover as much as we can. Um, time constraints really do... Uh, put a, you know, a, a damper in us covering every large event from around the world. And rightly so. We don't know the top players from Spain. The Russian team is, a, is amazing. The Polish team is supposed to be even more amazing. Uh, there is a tournament in Germany this weekend, which I'm kind of surprised by because also Germany is one of the few multi-championship uh, winner in the WTC. So we hear a lot about players outside United States and England that are masters of the game and only the other players from the WTC know about this. And we kind of miss out on it. So that part is um, kind of unfortunate. And, and uh, But I kind of wish there was more coverage and more openness about this. They almost take the secrecy of their lists to such an extreme. It's, it's kind of like, we're going to have a championship and we'll tell you when we're good and ready what happened. I'm like, eh. Yeah, I know... There was, I think there was one year where, I think it was still when Jeff Robinson, may he rest in peace, was still around, that the Team USA came in like second or something like that at the WTC, and they were just, they almost won it by sheer luck kind of thing. They, yeah, they've done really well, and I, I believe Jeff was part of that uh, that team. Um, God, I miss Jeff. But anyway, um yeah, we've had USA has been up and down, uh, kind of like USA in many Olympic sports <laughs> that are outside of our norm, like uh, hockey and uh, something other than basketball. But um, yeah, it's the, the trying trying to get like you know coverage during the week is is horrible, and it's just so hard to figure it out. And you have these other teams that do really well. Australia is one of the uh, good teams in the in the rankings. Uh, obviously, England is always a contender. Germany is always a contender, and Poland is usually the is the usually the front runner. Be curious to see with everything going on in Europe this year if that will continue. So, yeah, because I know 
but the fact that they do differential scoring over entire battle point stuff feeds into the mentality of just beat your opponent silly to score as high as possible because they also take like eight man teams yeah that part i don't understand yeah i I lost i think it's yeah eight or nine maybe 11 i don't even remember it's something ridiculous it's it's very high and uh, they also have very um they are pre-made boards for terrain, so it's not player place terrain. It's it, and it's very unique. They they actually commissioned a terrain company to make terrain because uh, that was a big issue in previous years that terrain was of questionable quality. And uh, so now they have their own. And I've actually seen some of it. I actually thought about ordering it for my tournament, and I kind of looked like, well, that's a start. Um, but then again, it's a big tournament, so you know they put a lot of. It, their terrain boards are incredibly dense. Um, we're talking four ruins in each player's deployment zones, so just wow. huge. Yeah, it's and it's almost like I have the book. I have the player manual from the previous, the pre-COVID year, because that's why I was trying to go by that and trying to figure out. Hey, and then just realized how are you supposed to move certain? Like, how do you move a knight through the uh, through the board? Because there's so much stuff in the way. So anyway, they. Um, and uh, well, they they may know better than I do, and they'll be the first ones to tell me that. And um, so we'll see how it goes. It's always a very interesting event, just like any training tournament. Very skewed lists to favor certain matchups. So um, I'm just curious to see how it goes. But it's it's always an interesting spectacle. Yep, it definitely will be. So best of luck to everyone across the ocean that is currently there. Yep, and safe travels as well. I mean, one of the famous stories is the. Uh, Val Hiffelfinger, who was playing for Team Canada with Tau, uh, put his passport in such a safe location he forgot where it was. Yes, put it in his shoe. (laughs) And he got to hang out with Lawrence Baker, who was playing for Team England and stuff like that, and was just a good old time, and that's when he found it in his shoe. Yeah. (laughs) This is after he'd been to the Canadian consulate and applied for a new one while in a foreign country. So, <laughs> yeah, remember where your passports are, kids. Yeah, kind of an important document. A little closer to home, Games Workshop showed off a bunch of new goodies. Um, the biggest thing is it's Corn Day, apparently. So, happy Corn Day, Robert. Blood for the Blood God, Skulls for the Skull Throne. May the blood flow from your foes. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I didn't get I mean, you a card. I'm sorry. Well, don't worry. I took plenty of blood from your Drukari from our game earlier today. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of key things, some new stat lines. Uh, the Flesh Hound's got a bit of a glow up. Uh, two extra inches of movement, a uh, point of strength, uh, an additional attack. And then it's true. The rumors were true. Uh, demons have two demonic saves. Well, what's a demonic save? It's like an invul save. But if you have an ability to... Uh, remove invol saves. It doesn't count because it's a demonic save. Ha, see what I did there? <laughs> but uh, a lot of demons have two different save values depending on whether it's a melee attack or a um, ranged attack. And the only way I can read these, I guess the first number is close combat because it's closer to the rest of the stats. Well, if we go all the way back, I mean, it's only three days old, but to the article <laughs> where they actually show off where this comes from in the demon codex and it says both saves are unmodifiable so it's even if you have ap it doesn't matter it's gonna just be in volans all the time so yes the first number is the melee save for the unit and then the second number is the range save so in the example that they have on the blood letter who went from strength four to strength five up to t4 by the way and got an extra attack but finally Yep, but lost the leadership. Um, they have a melee demon save of a five up, and then they have a four up demon save against shooting attacks, giving them some kind of durability of a flip flop. But you scroll down and you see the pink horrors. The pink horrors are fragile in melee, they literally evaporate with a six up invulnerable save, but they are incredibly hard to move in shooting with a three up demon save. So ah. I have a feeling that most of these numbers are going to be trends across all demon where Zinch will have like six up three up or five up three up corn's gonna have five up four up something like that and that's just gonna that's how it's gonna be we're gonna see hordes of demons just not get moved because one person rolls 20 out of 25 four up and vulnerable saves on their blood letters and it's just gonna be scary so there's there's um quite an interesting 
changes here and there. So I'm curious to see what else is in the book. Uh, we have seen some Reddit posts of additional information. It is a bit on the contrary side, so don't know how much I really want to repeat here. Quite frankly, we'll probably get more. By the time you hear this, there'll be three or four more community updates and uh, ready to go. But um, so kind of rely on the official sources. The biggest thing we don't have, though, is a release date. So I'm hoping soon, please. Yeah, I, I think it's they're slowly building up to it, working their way through the demons, and they were just close enough to Corn Day that they decided to do Corn first because he is the simplest one. Like I was actually starting to read the stratagem that they showed off today, and it's one or two depending on if they if the unit made a normal move or not. It's not whether how big the unit is, it's just if it moved. So at the start of the fight phase, you could use this. And if you're not in engagement range with a core bloodletters unit, you get to make a normal move of up to six inches. And it must end closer to the closest visible enemy unit. And if it's in engagement range, you can make a pile-in move with that unit at the start of the fight phase. Unbelievable. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm already in engagement range... Well, it's at the start of the fight phase, so I haven't done my initial pylon move. So again, I'm getting two pylon moves then? One when they... Yeah. Nap. Okay. So it's uh, so in the fight phase, let's say you have 10 bloodletters that got into a unit of intercessors. They go, ah, oh, ha-ha, I'm here. Start of the fight phase, you blow the one. Com- you blow two command points because you probably made a normal. You pile in three inches, and then you activate them tight. You get to pile in another because that's at the start of the fight phase that you use the stratagem. And I honestly like that. It's not too crazy. Like movement can be super powerful, but bloodletters are also on thirty-two millimeter bases, so they're not exactly able to squeeze into tight spaces. I better check if mine are still on the old bases or not. Oh. <laughs> But, I mean, it's also just core units, so there's no telling if there's going to, oh, you know, blood crushers and whatnot become core units. Or flesh hounds. What says select one bloodletter core unit? So I'm assuming it's just bloodletters at this point. Well, I know the blood crushers have a bloodletter riding a juggernaut. So it's Oh, like- I see what you're saying. Yeah, that could be possible. I love those models, by the way. I know they've been crappy for years, but I just, that's one of those. I hope those units are good. I love those units. <laughs> yeah, but continuing on with the corn day, we have a couple of bunny ears that aren't demonic. That is true. Uh, I was rather surprised that these came out since, uh, you know, we haven't no really release date for uh, this codex either. Yep. But as the internet has said, Wally the World Eater would like to speak to you about our Lord and Savior Corn and take your skull, please. <laughs> In case you don't know who Wally the World Eater is, it's the World Eater with the uh, kind of buggy eyes and kind of a skull mask looking thing. Well, anyway, his uh, the new glow-up models of the World Eaters Berserkers are, is that they showed a preview of what these things look like. And um, they're no longer ice skating. They look really cool. <laughs> and in the article where they show it off, they actually do show Wally the World Eater with the silliest looking helmet. And I love it. It's so derpy. But anyway, yes, the new Berserker models are amazing. They follow more into the aesthetic of the current um, Karen the Betrayer, where it's more like the bunny ears aren't, they're pronounced, but they're not over the top. And there's not super goofy looking. He looks like he actually has a helmet on. And this Berserker is walking around with a gigantic chain axe on the plasma. Now, what doesn't quite look as good is the um, pre heresy (laughs) version. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how to feel about this. I mean, it's pre-Heresy and it's Mark VI armor. It's the newest kit. It's the freshest one. And the shoulder pads are shoulder pads, but the helmets are, instead of going to Forge World and getting all of the Mark II heads, which would be tiny on the Mark VI body, you can have your Mark VI heads be all bunnier. And the trade-off is, I think it's just the way they have it painted that makes it look goofy. Because he looks like an ice cream truck. Yeah, because he has his he has his forehead bright white with pre heresy colors, but then he has just the f- like the visor part of the face painted red, and it's just the why <laughs> why would you paint that part red? But nonetheless, I may or may not get yeah simply because of the fact that I actually have. A box of Mark Six Marines. I want to see exactly how good these things actually. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Everybody, welcome Corn Day. Take the blood from your favorite fro, put it on a cake. Yeah, 
Hey everyone, Eric from the Exterminatus Podcast to tell you about the Smite Club Open. That's right, coming up this September 10th and 11th at the Bell Bank Park Fieldhouse in Mesa, Arizona. 128 players. We got six rounds, a ton of venues all around the particular area. To buy your tickets, you can get them at smiteclub40k.com backslash store. That's smiteclub40k.com backslash store. Tickets right now are $60, but if you wait uh, beyond August 10th, they do go back up to $70. So get your tickets now. If you've been to our Scorched Earth Open, expect even more from this particular event. Once again, Smite Club Open, September 10th and 11th. Hope to see you there. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. All right, as mentioned earlier, uh, Robert and I got a game in today. And, uh, well, that's all you need to do. No, I'm kidding. Actually, I do want to use this as a great exercise. So first of all, as you can probably tell, Robert stomped all over me it was not good <laughs> hey hey just because i found the gas tank of your ravager and it blew up in your army is not my fault yeah there are a couple things that kind of switch things around and it, i think it's important to kind of uh, embrace you know when you get your butt beat in is to take a step back and figure out what could we've done differently and um, although there were some hilarious dice rolls, I, I don't think that really, I can't, you know, there's plenty of other mistakes and plenty of opportunities to be done differently. And uh, so, Robert, why don't you get into your list first so people have an idea of what this monstrosity was? Well, as I jokingly call it, it's Constantine's heavy duty cleaning service because it is a whopping Trajan Valoris, who, yay, Constantine model. It's a lot better. Anyway, and then a Vexilla Praetor with the, with the dense cover banner. Then a bike captain, and then three more bikes with hurricane bolters, then three more bikes with missiles, and f- a big brick of five bikes with missiles with two palaces and two cleaves. Yeah, so if you're keeping track at home, it's either a tank or a bike with two guys. <laughs> yep. My average movement is that of 13, well, of 15 inches, and my average toughness is like six and a half. <laughs> Which did not bode well for my army at all. Especially when he was able to take out one Ravager on turn one before I could do anything. Um, a couple other things just died. And I think for me, the biggest thing was, okay, I can if I can get some trades here, I can force him to start you know, moving around. He can't be everywhere at once. And I don't think I want any of them. It just things that normally just go through your army like butter, because we've played each other enough times where I'm like, okay, this should do some, this should hurt. And I'm like, nope. Bounced right off. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now your your biggest combat that you won by by the sheer fact that the thing almost died was when your when your first unit of incubi got into my Caladius and knocked it from fourteen to four with some lucky invuln saves. But I mean, the fact that I was T seven, you were still wounding me on five. Yeah, that I was, was pretty much game. yeah wounding on fives throughout the whole game, and uh, even with the um, changes I made to my list to make sure because I'd already planned on for armor contempt and um, couldn't get past you know the two up saves, then all the uh, the four up involves, and I was like, wow, this is nothing was going. And then there was some hilarity. Um, uh, Lilith was spectacularly horrible in this game. <laughs> yeah, she showed up and went, hey, Bannerman, ooga booga booga booga, and the Bannerman told her to sit down. Yep. And just, no, no, you, you don't do things. But then she only took, like, one... After I didn't actually take her out, I walked away, and she took one damage from a palace <laughs> and then ate an entire Caladius worth of shooting. Yeah. So, kind of put it back in the game terms... Uh, Lilith, as you know, when she attacks uh, characters, reroll hits, reroll wounds. Uh, Robert played a stratagem. You do not get those rerolls, and that played a a major role. She has seven attacks, and I did give her the Warlord trait, so her weapons alone gives her for every six to hit. Get plus one additional hit. And then with the Warlord trait, Blood Dancer, she gets another uh, two or three, I forgot. So basically it's like three extra hits for every six I roll. Seven dice. Let's roll the dice. Four hits. Not a single six was rolled. 
All right. <laughs> yeah, it was two, two, three, four, four, and a five. It's like, no. So he survived. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah, I was looking over. There's a couple things I could have done differently, and I was like, okay, I should have done. I was also really bad with my removing the right model from close combat, so I gave you a couple extra swings. That was really dumb. Um, so I'll definitely be a little more paying attention to that. Although there's a couple like the big battle in the middle there with um, the five man block of bikes. You still they still had a pylon move, so they probably could have gotten to any model even if I pulled the one away, pulled them out of combat. Yeah, it was at that point in time you had two of them left and you you were pulling them from the back to try and keep me there because yep. of the fact that I couldn't go anywhere. But I also I had the opportunity to potentially make Constantine fight again to try and pick them up and just have free movement of wherever I wanted to go. But because it was either you pass your morale test on them or I kill them, I was in an advantageous position because I had the ability to make my bikes fall back and shoot. I'd already used my esteemed amalgam, so put anything into a different shield host to zoom my Hurricane Bolter bikes just 21 inches into your deployment zone and have, yeah, they're there. They do stuff. So curious as I was um, looking over, you know, kind of licking my wounds a little bit. And uh, one thing I was doing a little bit of math and I was thinking about how would you have played it differently? Because apparently I had the command points to put both Ravagers and another Raider with uh, its contents in reserves to start the game and then do the same move I did where I took the Trueborn, use it as bait, and then during my move and phase, move that into reserves in as well. Yeah. At that point, if you had done that, it would have been a, okay, I need to, because that stratagem you can use, you can use it on any unit, not just a Raider. Any transport. Okay. So yeah, at that point, it would have been a, if you had reserved more things, then yeah, I probably would have committed more into the middle to try and just get rid of the Raider, not knowing how that stratagem worked because I took um, Auric Mortalis, so I had to chase after specifically the Trueborn because they were mostly army. So if I could get them to land on the ground so that way they couldn't go anywhere then at that point I had the ability to continue driving forward into your army, but that would have walked right into the webway gate mm-hmm. where your blood brides and your lights would have popped up and gone, ha, ba, ba, ba. Yep. And they said they, they both, well, one, the lights failed their charge. The blood brides bounced off the bikes, but whatever. Um, that's what I was trying to think about. Okay. We could have done a couple more things here, taking more damage, taking more of a threat to the back edges. So yeah, I don't know. I was thinking yeah. it through. Yeah, if you had denied me more targets, my deployment of being super reserved behind the big red building would have made it so that way I would have been like, well, I literally don't get to do anything this turn and just scoot out. Maybe still make that 10 inch charge into your mandrakes. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to make this 10 inch charge. Rolls a 12. It's like, Man. But yeah, no, it was still a fun game either way because I still need to be able to catch Ray at some point and play him yep. against Necrons and see how well I can chew through that and prevent him from just racking. But so anyway, so yeah, a uh, a learning experience. But no, it's definitely a great, well played game and um, learned a lot from your list as well. So I'm glad we got the game in. So good to talk about it. Yep, transhuman on grotesque still matters. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it didn't come up in my game with Ray, and I was actually thinking about moving away from that. And um, and that in our game today, I was like, "Holy cow, that that was really powerful!" <laughs> so yeah, turning off my wounding on two lances just outright just went. Yeah, no, I have to overcommit to clean up grotesque. But I think we should hop on over to the event from two weeks ago. Yeah, let's do that. Yep. Good old comfy palms. So known for Bob Hope and golf tournaments, but yes, they actually play some 40K out there. And uh, so tell us a little bit of the top five. Well, top five, we have Daniel Olivas. I know I'm butchering his last name, and I feel so bad. I've practiced it so many times. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, we have Daniel with Harlequins. We have Daniel... Red Haas with Death Guard. We have Kyle Perry with Harlequins. Joel Wilson with Necrons. And then Chase Chapel taking it with Yanari. And in this order, 
from first to fifth, it's Xenos Petting Zoo, Xenos Petting Zoo, Xenos Petting Zoo, Xenos Petting Zoo, and then our local Smite Club. Yeah. Yeah. Xenos Petting Zoo definitely came out in force for this particular event. But uh, very interesting to see um, a very Xenos heavy top five. (laughs) Well, Necrons with their secondary changes just get so much free benefit. And then now people are starting to explore other options outside of Hail of Doom and Craft World. So we get to see a whole bunch of other stuff. Me that people went, hmm, get Nari. Like, for yeah, instance. People have been um, sleeping on Nari for a long time. So I'm, I'm psyched to see them up there. Yep. Like Chase's list is a couple of Warlock Skyrunners. It has one big unit of three. At least I think that's three. Maybe it's four. I can't read that right. I can never read it right. <laughs> um. But then it's a Farseer, a Shadow Seer, the Incarn, the big scary wannabe Slanesh monster himself. Then a unit of Cobblet Warriors, two units of Rangers, a unit of Howling Banshees, a unit of Striking Scorpion, a Warlock, some Shroud Runners, a Falcon, a Hemlock, oh, and support weapons. Let's not forget those D cannons that are just floating. And then we have a Hemlock Wraith Fighter, a Void Raven Bomber, and he brings an auxiliary support detachment of Bahara. Hmm, that's interesting. I always get confused with the rules there because Baharak normally cannot be included in a Nari list. So does he lose the Inari Craft World ability? Um, at that point, I don't know because I'm not versed in Eldar at all. But I mean, it's an auxiliary support attachment. So at that point, wouldn't he just lose all of his normal Craft World ability? Yeah, and so I'm trying to think who loses what because it is separate. Yeah, because it's still a Nari detachment. So yeah, it'll just be Bahara. This is all the Craft World stuff. Okay. Yeah. We're still, you know, redundancy powerful, but okay yeah and that's not a lot of models from the way i read that that's all i mean you kill the flyers super easy if you have long range but then after that it's just a well what are you gonna do yeah i think the question is do you you, how much firepower would you stick into the flyers at this point when because what it's interesting like no um i think of this it's not singing spears it's the uh shining spears that's what i'm thinking of it's usually what you see in the Nari list is the Shining Spears with Heart Render. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, nothing there. Um, the Howling Banshees, yeah, you do see them, but and same thing with Striking Scorpions, but it's interesting. Yeah, there's a couple a couple other components that are just... I'm, I'm curious to watch this playlist. It's very different from every other Nari list I've seen. Yeah, I think it's more of kind of like a mobility abusement because the Falcon is just... Uh... Like a heavy weapon platform, right? It's not a transport like a wave serpent is. No, it is. It's just smaller. It's like kind of it's where the wave serpent is a rhino, um, a uh, falcon is a um, razorback. So it does ah. have a, a wide range of heavy weapons on board. It can hold, I believe, six models, six infantry models. But the uh, glow up I got, it also has the drop hot rule. Eh. Okay, so he can do deployment. Yeah. Okay. So he's got that in there. Um, he's got, uh, you mentioned the Incarn, it's just nasty, um, and provides a tremendous amount of movement as well to contest and, uh, get to all parts of the board as needed. So it really does well. Yep. And a couple of shout outs for this event. We did have some other locals make it over to Palm Springs that weekend. In ninth place, we have Tyler Hepler, the crazy bug man himself. We also have, um, Jason Flanzer in 12th, who's on the same team as Tyler with Necrons. And kind of down here on the bottom, after a big hiatus and welcoming his fifth child to the world <laughs> a little while ago. I honestly lost count. But we have our other co-captain of Matt Ball. It's down to 36. He went 3-3. Three and three, But, I mean, he's also been extremely... <laughs> yep, glad to see him get out and get some game time in. And then, at that point, I think we're good to like fast-forward through time a little bit and jump on over to still in california but we go over to riverview new brunswick yeah this is morks um maritime open so an interesting event uh, i originally thought of uh the guy from um work from work but apparently no it's a work reference so i totally missed that but anyway what's say, top, top five look like? how dare you forget mork you stinking gorker was he cunning or is he savage <laughs> it's brutal sir you can't even get it right you're a no, rock now. <laughs> maybe to die every one of them <laughs> but yes so in the top five this has probably been the biggest shakeup of armies i've ever seen in an event that with the nephilim book in fifth place we have nathan chow 
with Gene Steeler Colt. In fourth place, we have Mark Antoine Leclerc with um, Chaos Knights. We have Colton McClinnis in third with Necrons. We have Nick Steves in second place with Astro Militarum. And then we have Keenan Elliott in first place with a... I read this list earlier. It is not Custodes. It is Imperium in all technicality. But, I mean, it is mostly Custodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're reading it to me as well. So it's a Custodes attachment with a bunch of Armagers? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's a, it's a normal battalion of custodes with an added on a, an added on extra agents of the imperium of voidsman at arms which are just a cheap little 40 man sit on a button then the fight captain trajan valoris which i'll have to double check this with other people but by all rules purposes i don't think trajan would be able to get both warlord traits if he's your warlord because he this guy brings two armagers but then again i'll have to double check the wording in the custodes book because I never bring allies, so I never have to worry about it. Then it's one, two, three units of Custodian Guard. Um, two of them all with all spears, one of them with sword and board. Then two units of Sagittarium, so the shooty ones. And then we have a the Achilles Dreadnought, so the one with the big spear. The Glass Dreadnought, the one with the sword and board. A single Cleus Grab Tank. I keep on realizing I spell it wrong. And then we have two Armager Helverins, so the ones with the melted guns as free blade now i'm not familiar with loyalist version of armagers as to what hunters of beasts are but i mean they have melted guns and they move really fast yeah it's interesting this is like i said a very varied highly varied uh top five is what i'm trying to say i'm kind of shocked at the guard coming in second Weren't they really considered one of the worst armies in the, in the game? And Well, I mean, let's actually look at his list because it's, I mean, it's not surprising that if guard shows up and you bring enough shots that you can chew through almost anything because of the fact that their six is just automatically with any and all. Guns. So it's a normal company commander. He uses a stratagem for an extra tank ace. And it looks like has made a custom regiment, which I'm assuming has something to do with one free reroll because of gunnery experts and spotter details. Again, I don't know guard, but he has two tank commanders, um, both with last cannon, track guards, which I'm assuming gives some kind of bonus to a save, demolish the siege cannons, and two multi-melta sponsons. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, spicy. Um, then we have one, two, three, four, five, six units of basic guardsmen. Obviously, every single one of them has a melted gun and a last cannon and a vox. Then he has a veteran command squad. He has two platoon commanders. Then he has a squadron of two basilisks. One of them has full payload. And then he has a squadron of three Lehman Rust demolishers with heavy bolt response, a single mantic, a single manticore, and a single chimera. So taking advantage of the basilisk being able to just shoot across the table without line of sight all the time. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. <laughs> so interesting. When he said two tank cases, I was like, okay, how many tanks are in this list? <laughs> um, enough to give up maximum bring it down, I believe. Because I believe the tank commanders and Lehman Russes are all over 10. So between just those five tanks, that's already 10 points. Right. But yeah, otherwise... Um, yeah, no, it's a pretty much a guard list that I would imagine would take advantage of the sixes automatically wound, because I know the seat, the demolisher cannon are buckets of dice, and because Lehman Russes have that, oh, if you move half distance, you double tap or whatever, whatever that rule is. I know it exists um, because they have that. That is just a bunch of dice. Right, would explain it then. Yeah, he's just killing you with the weight of dice. Then, like I said, all the sixes to hit are automatically wounding. Eh, okay. <laughs> yep. And the Chaos Knight list is honestly nothing exactly special, except for the. F Wait a minute. Those are all stalkers. Oh, those are the ones that have melee capabilities and chain cannon or melted. Confusing. But anyway, because normally you would bring executioners, but obviously people have planned for executioners and just hide. Um, but this. So, Eric, Gene Sealer Cult, fifth place. What is this? I have no idea. Uh, this is actually <laughs> listening to another podcast, was giving a review of the Gene Sealer Cult. Um, Codex, and it's one of those armies. It's it's always feels like it's 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 almost how do I say this too good for its own kind, and that 
in order to play it, it's just so difficult to play. But if you can play it well, you're going to be on top of the on top of the moon. And this might be the case here. Yeah, like I believe the the phrase that I've heard from my time in card games and also from exploring the competitive area of 40k is it has an incredibly low floor well it not low floor it has an incredibly high floor because of the skill it needs to play it well but then it has an even higher seal are a master of movement a master of aura manipulation anything else that would require you to worry about movement and spacing gene sealer cult can heavily benefit because obviously they have ways of going all right i'm within three inches but i don't need to i don't get to charge I'm within six or eight inches, but I have to chart like I charge you and all this other stuff like layered exposure because from the looks of it. Yeah, this guy has three red runners, some jackals, some gene sealers, a whole bunch of characters and then a whole bunch of hybrids and acolytes. Nope, nope, just hybrids. I can't read. <laughs> That's curious. Yeah, what if he took the muscle peach version? If he you see. Uh, maxing out vehicles. I was curious what he was going to be doing with this list, but it sounds like it's it's pretty stock at this point. Yeah, I mean, like looking over some of them, there's blasting charges all over the place. There's an auto gun, some mining lasers, seismic cannon, blasting charges, then demo charges. This guy has these units all kitted out with a whole bunch of high power weaponry. Like the he has. The first two units of hybrids are walking around with four rock cutters. <laughs> so this thing so will get in there and he'll just peel off everything. So the rock cutters, but still congrats to Nathan Chow though, for actually having that up in the top five and this event, no one went undefeated. So even Keenan took a loss in round two, but was able to keep such a high score that he was able to come out on top by five points on wow. top of Nick. It's a pretty close game. Yeah, it was. Hey, listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right. This is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order be sure to mention the exterminators podcast that wraps up our tournament coverage for this week's show. We've got a little bit of time left. And as we mentioned, always want to talk about things in the competitive scene. And if you were in the game during 6th and 7th edition, Games Workshop was looking over their shoulder because there was another game company that had, quite frankly, a better competitive uh, system in place when it came to match play. And that was War Machine. I know what you're thinking. Isn't that game dead? Well, over the last two weeks... Privateer Press has announced that they are coming back with a new edition of War Machine. And they freely admit they've made some mistakes along the way, and this is how they're going to fix it. Why am I bringing it up on a 40K podcast? Well, rumor has it, uh, 10th edition Warhammer 40K should be coming out this summer. And already there's a lot of speculation on what to expect from Games Workshop. To compare and contrast where the two companies are and where the two games are at, is very interesting and to see the bold strokes that privateer press is making with their flagship game some may even argue their only game is uh very interesting so i thought i would toss it out for discussion in our last few minutes here of the show so first and foremost they do take a swipe at games workshop and their only way they can do it and uh, matter of fact, one of their bullet points they talk about is how to blow up the world without hurting anyone. Yeah, I saw that little bit. I'm like, this is an interesting little thing. Yeah. Because I was scrolling through the article and I, all the way at the bottom, it has something that Games Workshop isn't really good at. But it's definitely something different because I was not around for 6th and 7th edition. So I never had to play. I never got a chance to see War Machine. I always heard it as Warmel. So, so like. Sure, let me talk about that for a second real quick. And first, I also want to be clear. I got into War Machine when it first came out. I freely admit I didn't get it. 
I loved the aesthetic, the original aesthetic. And then I took us some time off. I had a really difficult time with the focus system. And then, then when I got back into it, I was like, where did all this infantry come from? <laughs> so um, it was always a, our, in our local area, the War Machine and 40K communities were about of equal size. And uh, so it was always the kind of competing for tables. Uh, <laughs> ironically, never had to compete for terrain because they don't really use a whole lot of terrain in uh, War Machine. It's because of the competitive nature. I did have another experience with War Machine later on. It was during 7th edition. Uh, I was brought in to help as a paint judge for the Nova War Machine tournament. And so I got to see some of the, the, the combat. And there were some really interesting things going on. And actually, way back when, before the ITC, when TOs had to develop their own missions from scratch, one of the things I did was I grabbed the Steamroller packet, which is their version of Nephilim uh, tournament package. I actually went through, read their missions, and tried to convert them over to 40K. And um, if you think, well, that sounds like a terrible idea, uh, open your packet to Scorched Earth. That's that's a blatant ripoff of one of our missions. <laughs> so anyway, the first thing so that comes up to, you mentioned Warm Hordes. Well, why is it not called Warm Hordes anymore, isn't it? Is this sort of like how nobody at Nottingham calls Warhammer 40k 40k. They all spell it out 40,000. No, actually, they acknowledge it. When War Machine first came out, it was War Machine. And then they came out with an expansion, the idea that not everybody uses steam-powered magical robots. They have wild, crazy monsters out in the woods. And those were the hordes. And so they did fight each other, and hence the game became Warmer Hordes. Apparently, that nomenclature is going away the hordes are going to be rolled into the core game and there's not going to be separate rules. What do you do? So, yeah, that's, that's, that's just rule streamlining. That's right. honestly, whatever. On the note of streamlining though, uh, they have recognized, and this is probably the biggest craziness. When I read this press release, the number of models that they have is unwieldy to not only the company to keep it balanced, but also to retailers. So when the new edition launches, there are going to be two modes. One, you can play with your old models. You're going to get one update and have fun. And the other mode is if you want to play in tournament play, which starts this January 1st with the new system, you can only use the new stuff. So I, I've i talked to a few of my War Machine friends, and they're kind of, actually, two of them are like, too little, too late. We're done. <laughs> but you remember the uproar Space Marine players had when there was a rumor that there will be no non-Primaris models in the game anymore um imagine or that like, game wide <laughs> well like i'm i'm thinking when the orc the when you look at the orc boys and the big thing was oh you have the black reach which were on the 25 million rebases and then they got reboxed to being on 32s for eighth edition and there was that entire argument of like well the 25 was what my model came with when i got it so can i use that Yes, but there's a new box out. Do I have to use that one? Yes. So that entire thing of, well, how do how do new orc work? That's, <laughs> that's kind of the idea that I I get from this, where this company is just, nope, we are chopping off the dead leg. We are growing a new one, and it's going to be this. <laughs> yeah. So from what I remember, um, I, again, I'm a little... The initial launch, there were four armies in War Machine. They added four beast units in wards and then two more armies came out after that so that's eight ten factions so when the new edition releases there will only be four i don't know what they are they have not announced that and then they'll be adding two more that are horde uh style later in the year so imagine if you will <laughs> the new edition comes out and you may not only not only may you not have a new codex you cannot play that army until the codex comes out i mean that's sure it sucks for the people that want to get back or join this hobby as a new person because the looking at the roadmap that they have down at the bottom here it's okay one two three four yeah like four or five different symbols of just oh hey there's things that you can play and it's a uh, what like that condensed and then you just I imagine that the list building is a little more creative in, than it is for 40k, where you can do all kinds of weird things as long as you're 
general is alive or something is how I think it worked. Um, actually, just the opposite. That's one of the reasons why I got out of the game was the army building was very, like the point values were annoying in that it, it uses a, a, a 40k example. I have 75 points left in my 2000 point army. There's nothing in my codex at 75, under 75 points. Oh, and because I'm just wasting points. Or do I have to rearrange everything to get a little closer? Now they use something similar to power level, where it's like 50s and 75s. But I remember several times, like a, a heavy jack is like 26 or 31 points. And I'm like, all right, is there like a solo, which is like a hero, you know, like a character type model that I can squeeze in for a few extra points? And um, that became very problematic. And uh, so now they're, yeah, they're seeming to be splitting up their factions even more so. So I'm not sure what the new armies will look like going forward. It, it'd almost be like, I'm kind of trying to get an analogy for 40K, but I probably can't think of one for this particular one. But it's, it's very interesting that they're willing to cut for the purposes of match play. They're willing to take a big swipe in terms of we're going to reduce the model count that's available to your, the number of armies available so it's a more balanced game. I think it's because of the fact that they understand that the people that played and still play 3rd th edition of War Machine, that's what they enjoyed and they liked those models and they don't want people to lose out on use of them. So they give you a way to play, which is essentially Legend for Warhammer. But then they go, look, all of that stuff will not matter. We want you to play the new stuff in our new updated competitive system. The main draw of this game is the competitiveness is what it sounds. So at that point, they can, one, drive their sales because they're a company. And two, they can make it so that way they're a breath of life thrust into the game right at the start. Yeah, it's a very, it just, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, I'm just, I find it very curious. That's why I wanted to talk about it tonight. So yeah, imagine if they came back and said, you know, it's, well, Games Workshop came back and said, okay, here are the new indexes for 10th edition. And you open your book and you're like, where's half the units? And so if you still want to play with, I don't know, uh, your tyrannic war veteran ultramarines, well, you know, they're, they're, they're not legend. They're not. And you can make the argument that is every unit in every codex being used in competitive play? Probably not. So for the competitive players, you have a stream down codex. For all of the rest of you players out there, have at it. You can have any model you want. Yeah, like the the way I can actually compare it is you look at 4th edition War Machine to um, you have, if competitive 40k didn't allow Forge World to exist, like I know back in old edition, so you would have... So you wouldn't see Leviathan Dreadnoughts, you wouldn't see Relic Contemptors, you wouldn't see any, you wouldn't see half of the Custode book. <laughs> that would be your competitive roster, but then as soon as you leave the competitive space, oh, here's your Forge World book, and it's this gigantic tome of all the fun stuff. That you so at that point, that's kind of the idea that I get from this. Mm -hmm. It's just for the sake of the health of the game, they don't want to have to try and convert old warjacks or anything else into new rules that will make the old stuff drastically different. And it's funny. And by the way, back as we talked about WTC earlier in the show, there was a there's a they do not allow Forge World. They do not allow fortifications and for a long time did not allow special characters. Huh. So they literally wanted people to actually play winning by skill and efficiency rather than super crazy powerful characters. All right. That's one way to look at it. Absolutely. And then that's why um, in the early days there when, you know, they looked at, well, these events are allowing for, you always had to look at the, the mission, the tournament packet. Do you allow Forge World? Yes, no. Do special characters allowed? Yes, no. Is there a banned list of special characters? Yes, no. It was always like all these stipulations. And so when we do a tournament review like we do this week, it was always like, okay, what mission pack? Which which of these levers have they pulled on for this particular event to have, have what allowed? It was crazy back then. And uh, so the streamlining that we're at least using all, you know, most of the same missions and, and units makes it a heck of a lot easier. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm gonna, I was picking on Space Marines earlier. I mean, even if you just go back to, you know, my codex, when I, you know, I played Drakari. Good luck getting beast models and a beast master. 
So for competitive play, could they just say, yeah, those are legended now. We're not, we're not going to come out with new models for those. I'm like, oh, okay. I can't remember anybody ever taking, maybe, I think Skari once in a while took a few Razor fl- Wing Flocks as a distraction, but that's about it. I mean, the days of the 20 Chimera um, Swarmless are a bit long gone. That was a fifth edition list. So you could easily see some pairing down there. Um, Space Marine players, when's the last time you saw Stern Guard veterans on the table? So I think the oldest models that I ever see from Space Marines are the classic Devastator squads. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, so what also brings it up, and um, I know Mike, you're listening, and we start, you know, he's a good friend of mine, and he play, he's, he defines you know, the, the casual player. Um, don't call him casual, because if he plays you to tournament, he'll probably beat you. He's a very good player, but he cannot be bothered staying on the bleeding edge of the meta. He could care less. He wants to throw dice. He wants to have fun to the point where he sent me a list. This is, what do you think? And I go, I'm not sure how you're going to pull out these action objectives. He goes, what are those? <laughs> and I said, well, in the Nephilim book, they have all these. Oh, yeah, we don't use those. And and if that's the way he likes playing, that's the way he's likes playing. Yeah. You can't knock him for it. Uh, do not. I had a lot of time, good time playing with him. Still miss playing with him. But yeah, it's um, and that we've been told several times is a bigger chunk of the player base than the competitive players. And so part of me says, is it time for Games Workshop to maybe take a look at what Privateer Press is doing? Because, okay, for match play, you don't get to... Here's a smaller pool of units from each codex that you use moving forward. Yeah, and I know that would be like that would be super helpful with some armies that are so vast. Like for Space Marines, you have normal tactical squads, you have intercessors, you have assault intercessors, you have incursors, you have infiltrators, like you have six, seven, eight different troop, whatever they are. Then you go to armies like Necron, you have two troop choices, warriors and mortals. And that's an upgrade, by the way. <laughs> mortals yeah. used to be elites for a long time. And and another army that you legitimately look at and you go, you have a singular troop choice, and that is custodes we only have custodian guard that like if you don't include any of the sisters of silence then yes custodes only have one troop choice sisters of battle were like that for a long time too yeah so it's a the health of giving competitive players different choice could very well be the (laughs) this might sound like heresy um go back to the days where if you take a certain character certain other choices could become troops because I know back in the day there were options like, oh yeah, you make your Terminators into troop choices. Oh yeah, I love those. Yeah, my whole fifth edition list was based off of that mechanic. Like I think it would be really because the touching on actual Horus Heresy, the way that they divide their troops is you have every single unit is just a unit. It doesn't matter. Your infantry or infantry, they are troops. They can go do stuff. But they only matter for scoring for the mission if they have the line key, the line subtype, which is essentially objective secure. So that is something like your normal tactical marines, your despoiler squads, your other basic troops. And if you take the rights of war for certain things, it can make things into line choices. Like I think there's one for Iron Warriors that makes me really laugh. It's either Iron Warriors or Iron Hands that turns your rhinos, your predators, and maybe like one other vehicle into line troops. So your vehicles can go sit in on an objective and score. Yeah, but it'd be an interesting way to go back and take a look at some of that again. So I'd be curious to see. I'm just really curious if we do get a 10th edition rule set in July of next year. What what direction are they going to go? So Yeah, I mean... We already have we have an app that kind of works that with some blunders can actually be navigatable and usable if they would actually take the time to invest and fix it. You could have legitimately a all right, here's all of your data sheets and new edition comes along. Well, you can just go ahead and say, Nope, my army doesn't change. You could just write out the start of the roadmap, just say these armies are not getting updates outside of FAQs. And when we print their codex, their codex will have all of the changes already added, that kind of thing. But then again, that would be a very bland game at that point because nothing would change. True. So it's it's honestly hard to compare company to company and game to game because of the fact that I just, I never tried War Machine. So I, 
I never understood exactly how competitive it was outside of, oh, your warcaster or whatever, the big head guy of your army. If he died, you automatically lose or your stuff couldn't do anything anymore. Like whatever that was. Right. From what I was told, it was the, of, of the games out at that time, it was the probably best balance competitive game, but it did, it was not perfect. Oh, don't buy a long shot. And that was one of the things was, um, yeah, if you could basically slay the warlord in that game, it was almost like a guaranteed win. So it was like, oh. And actually, I think that was one of the missions was you just had to kill the warlord. So um, so that was one of the things that was a bit broken. Uh, they definitely were subscribers to the how can the game be broken when every faction is broken. So Yeah, the entire thing of everyone gets D-strength cannons, even the guardsmen. Yeah. So that was a little bit different, but um, yeah, the member missions being very interesting. That's what I said. Borrowed a lot of that to my own mission design. There's a lot of neat things in there, and um, so I'd be curious to see. Yeah, just curious to see what these guys do to, to move forward, as well as, and also I think it's interesting that they are reducing the range to make room for new models coming in. So I mean, we just had, again beginning of this edition, the huge Necron refresh. You know, you're like, wow, you know, those guys are cool and those guys are cool. And where do my old models fit in in the, this pantheon of new models? You know, some of them get put to, put to pasture. I mean, if you're a Chaos Space Marine player, uh, the three of you who bought Mutilators, you're highly disappointed right now. The, the one thing I will say, just as an objective standpoint, from reading this article and looking at how they actually, they do something I never thought I'd see a company do where they actually give instructions on how to magnetize your bigger models. It's supposed that the new models will come with the magnets and it's by design that you can, uh, from game to game. So you're basically brace for this space brain players. Imagine from game to game, you could switch the weapon arms on dreadnoughts. Yeah, that is actually a really neat sounding idea. So I'm, I'm honestly going to keep an eye on if this game ends up proving to be another like healthy outlet for competitive people to play, then that'll be great competition for Games Workshop to try and come up with something better. True. And it wasn't that long ago that the, these guys were a serious threat. So be curious to see who, you know, how they push each other in the competitive field of running war games. So it'd be really cool to see. But yeah, otherwise, I'm... I have nothing much else to say about this outside of the fact that the models look really cool. I would probably paint one just so that way I could paint it. Yeah, some of them are pretty cool. Some of them were a bit derpy. Um, that was my. It's kind of like my whenever I see another game, I always take a look. There's a there used to be a painting service, and they offered us a really cool incentive. We will paint in a two thousand point army for half price. The, stipulation is they pick the army <laughs> so i thought about that so it's like well this is how i get if i don't choose the faction is there an army out there that are there enough choices where i would shell out the money for this company to paint an army for this game and so like that's one reason like certain games are like oh god there's only like two factions i even remotely like no way I'm done um so for me, 40k, there's only like really two armies. I'm like, ew, what? I, I don't want to play these this army, but um, it's kind of kind of a neat way to look at that. You know, if I, if I don't choose my faction, well, is there, are there enough choices out there? <laughs> but other than that, I think that is a pretty full night for us, Eric. It is just a quick rundown of the ITC top 10, uh, pretty unchanged from our last show. And also, you can always check out our Facebook page where we do have the expanded. Uh, standings that you can only find, including individual player T-Whip, as well as in individual player win-loss records and uh, total uh, tournament wins. So you can see an expanded uh, who truly is in the top 10 and also just how they got there. So the top 10 currently for this week, in 10th place, Matt Robertson, still hanging in there. Ninth place, uh, Brenton Weiss. 8th place, Brad Chester. 7th place, Anthony Vanella. 6th place, Ennis Wilson. Five place Thomas Ogden, fourth place Jack Harpster, third place, yeah, the triumvirate of British players still holding on to the top three, David Gaylard, Manny Chima, and in first place, still Vic the J at 1344 points on six events. So, impressive run here, and uh, as they continue to navigate the new Nephilim missions. 
Yep. Definitely coming up to that home run of if people can actually get their get their points together, make something happen. Yeah, time to make the push. So there are quite a few uh, factions and opportunities to make some last-minute noise. And uh, this is the time of year where the, the tournaments are, like, plenty of opportunities to get some games in. So take advantage of it. With that, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. Yeah.